The Emperor's made a critical error and the time for our attack has come. The data brought to us by the Botham spies pinpoints the exact location of the Emperor's new battle station. We also know that the weapon systems of this Death Star are not yet operational. With the Imperial fleet spread throughout the galaxy in a vain effort to engage us, it is relatively unprotected. But most important of all, we've learned that the Emperor himself is personally overseeing the final stages of the construction of this Death Star. Many Bothans died to bring us this information. Welcome everyone from across the universe to the Wampa's Lair Podcast. Star Wars is for everyone, so pull up a chair, get comfortable, and join the conversation with your hosts, Carl LeClaire and Jason Hunt, here in the Wampa's Lair. everybody and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Wampus Lair podcast. This is episode 476, Top 5 Minor Characters. I am as always one of your hosts, Carl LeClaire. And while Jason is away this week, I am joined by a special guest who was a recent guest. So glad to have her back. We have Jen Chachai Bankard. Jen, so glad to have you back on. Thank you. It's, I'm so I'm thrilled to be here. And especially talking about this it's like really cool, but also somewhat challenging topic of coming up with this list. <laughs> well, it, when uh, Jason shared with me, he has like a big work conference this week. Um, and he's like, I just don't really think I'll have time. And I said, no, no worries. I, I got this. We got this. And I immediately was like, oh, I would love to have Jen on again because you were just so awesome the last time you were on. And I was like, um, so you were so gracious to make time for this. And, and you said, you know, what's the topic? And I was like, dealer's choice. You you choose. And you gave like you came up with so many great options, and we we both just settled on this one as being a really fun one to talk about. So, um, Jen, there are so many minor characters in Star Wars. Um, yes, when, and when we 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 kind of had a conversation about this offline a bit, but how did you kind of start wrapping your mind around who's a minor character versus who's a major character? Right. And I think, you know, we were just talking about this, but the there is a sliding scale of obscurity, I think, that in terms of how uh, some people will put their list together versus others, um, because I think you can lean really into those background characters, characters who maybe not don't even have any lines of dialogue. They're just like in the background of a scene versus a character who maybe is more uh, supporting in the sense of you know, they actually have a lot of interactions with the main character, um, a lot of a lot of one-on-one scenes. They're part a major part of the plot. Uh, but for me, ultimately, the breakdown sort of came to, is the character a part of the plot or are they a part of the story? Mm. Uh, and what I mean by that is they might be really integral to what is literally happening in the series episode film whatever it is uh they might appear a lot but are they thematically tied in with the characters are they uh part of the the more sort of existential journey that the, the main characters are on great yeah uh that's that's brilliant and i'm, I'm thinking uh, hearing you explain it that way 
I don't know if mine are technically minor characters then. <laughs> um, well, a couple of them may not be. Um, yeah, because I mean, the way I just thought about it was, um, I mean, to me, obviously, the major characters are, you know, Skywalkers, Luke Leia. And, you know, I think there's a designation of maybe supporting like Chewbacca to me in the original trilogy is a supporting character. I don't know that he's a major, but I also wouldn't consider him minor. Um, mm-hmm. So anybody really kind of tied in with the the major plot i guess as you said was kind of how i did it um and and also honestly like part of it was also just who are some of these background characters that i've always loved and as i'll talk about is you know as we get into our list here um some of them i've come to love in light of the fact that after they were just you know kind of throwaway characters on screen we got stories about them later um and uh it maybe after we finish our list we can have a, a quick conversation about does that change the dynamic and uh, of our th- from a minor to maybe a, a major character? And I mean, I still think in the context of the for me, I always go to the movies first. That's usually how I think of Star Wars. Um, so when I any of these characters like they're still minor characters within the the movie stories. So even if they get a follow up story on their own, um, to me, it's still a minor character. Uh, it, you know, mm-hmm. if you're if you're at a cocktail party and you're like, oh, yeah, do you know, um, you know, Captain Tarples, the average Star Wars person isn't going to necessarily know who that is. I, I, I mean, a Star Wars fan, probably. But somebody who's more tangential to Star Wars will probably be like, no, who was that? Be like, oh, well, I've got a story for you. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that ended up being a big criteria for me as well is how much do we find out about who the character is in the actual mm series or film versus how much we would want to know because i think eventually and that actually was what made it very challenging for me in some ways because i originally my knee-jerk reaction this is not a spoiler because none none of them ended up on my list but the, the the sort of murderer's row of bounty hunters and empire strikes back to me are sort of the the quintessential minor characters who seem so cool and seem so fleshed out and yet we know nothing about them. But as you're saying, because Star Wars is a long-standing franchise, you know, that has changed for so many of them, right? Um, either through Legends books or, or the, the new canon books or even, you know, Book of Boba Fett. Originally, Boba Fett had so much mystique because nobody really knew who he was. And now through both the prequel uh, films of him as a child and through the book of Boba Fett, we have so much more shaded in. So I, I do not think he qualifies right. any longer. Yeah. Uh, he had his own show. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that's a, what a, that's a great distinction. Um, you know, of, of, I, I like that distinction of that, that sense of mystery to them. You know, I think that's what is, can be so intriguing about some of these minor characters is they might just pop in and have a line or have a quick little scene and there's enough there that you're like, Ooh, I'd love to know more about them. And I think Boba Fett is kind of the quintessential example for anybody who grew up more in the OT era. Right. Cause if, if you grew up in the prequels or now, like there's no mystique to him at all, it's all there. <laughs> um, but he was kind of the, you know, the encapsulation of that. And I think that was one of the brilliant things they did early with Mandalorian as they kind of gave him a sense of mystique. Um, and, and it kind of slowly rolls out as to who he is, uh, which I thought was really right. smart. So, um, yeah, but anyway, for sure. should we, uh, should we hop into our list here? Yeah, let's do it. 
All right. Well, uh, you know, just because Jason isn't here doesn't mean we can't do honorable mentions. So, of course, we've got a couple. Uh, so, uh, Jen, why don't you why don't you kick it off with your first honorable mention? Sure. And I I want to say that that this is an honorable mention as opposed to on my main list because. I feel like it is a pretty classic answer to this question. Um, so I'm going to say Max Rebo. Um, and I have, uh, and I'm going to be honest that looking through my collection of, of toys did sort of help me decide <laughs> who would be on my list. Oh, so for them. listeners at home, I have two plush Max Rebos in front of me. One is sort of like a beanie baby sort of looking one that I just got, uh, Used, I believe it's used at a comic book shop many, many years ago. Um, and then this other one is the. I think he plays sound. Your mic's your mic's too good to pick that up. Oh no! <laughs> oh, that's going to ruin yeah. a lot of the bits I have for yeah. this. Then oh no! Nice. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but he's he plays with sound. He's in he's in his little like keyboard setup. Um, and I got this at Celebration in 2015. So yeah, Max Rebo. To me, definitely a minor character because I couldn't really tell you anything about him other than he's in a band, um, and uh, and he he just the look of him he's so has such a sweet face and he's just rocking out, jamming to his tunes, um, and I think for me he cemented his place on some of these lists because. Uh, when he you know spoiler for Book of Boba Fett um, when he returns, everybody. Was so incredibly excited. <laughs> Fan reaction to him coming back was so strong. Um, and again, spoilers. So if you have not seen the book of Boba Fett, fast forward about thirty seconds. Uh, and when um, Garza Whip Sanctuary explodes, uh, everyone has got very, very concerned about Max Rebo's well-being. Um, I think he's probably fine, um, but and will re- and will return. Um, <laughs> But yeah, to me, I want. I would want to know more about him. He seems like a spinoff show that's you know about him, just him and his band. I would totally watch that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, one of my favorite movies is uh, that thing you do, which Tom Hanks did, and I know our mutual friend Greg Ion Cannon Cass loves that movie as well. I would love Tom Hanks to do a Max Rebo band story. <laughs> um, yes, that'd be so fun. Uh. Um, that well, would be. I also I'm, love that movie. I'm so glad you put him on your list because he just barely missed the cut for me. Um, I also love Max Rebo for a lot of the same. He's just adorable. I mean, he's a blue elephant. Um, he's super cute, plays an awesome looking keyboard. And actually, it's funny you say you want to know more about him because uh, the first honorable mention I'm going to mention, there's a crossover. Um, so my first honorable mention is Malakili, the Raincore Keeper from Return of the Jedi. Um, and part of the reason I love him and part of the reason I loved Max Rebo is they each have a really fun story in the Tales from Jabba's Palace book that came out in 96 by Kevin J. Anderson. Um, and in that story, we learned that Max Rebo was able to jump out of the sail barge before it exploded. Um, so it, it made sense like that he was back because it's like, oh, cool. Yeah. He, in that old legend story, he got it out. He got out. So there's no reason to think he didn't get out again. I'm with you. He's he's fine. Um, but uh, he might be that a little. That makes me want to know even more about him because he doesn't look like the type who would be able to survive stuff like this. <laughs> right. He doesn't look like he'd be quick. <laughs> right. Um, I, it, my headcanon is just that his keyboard is also like a mini hovercraft and you can just. It can, he can like make it float and then boom, move. 
Love um, it, love it. I have seen some action figures, or not maybe not action figures per se, but uh, figures of him where he has extra limbs because they're interpreting that there's something underneath the keyboard, and I don't like those. They they freak weird me out. Yeah, the, well, I mean, the action figure I have of him, which is also sculpted after the vintage one from the 80s, is he's got two feet, and he's wearing an, uh, what looks yeah. like a diaper. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I love Max Rebo. Um, but uh, anyway, yeah, Ma- Malakili is my first honorable mention. Um, and in large part, I just I always liked him on screen because when he comes in and cries over the death of the Rancor, it immediately makes you care a little bit differently about the Rancor because up to that point, it's just this villainous beast that Luke has to slay or be killed by. And then here comes this person who's broken down by the Rancor's death. He obviously has some sort of relationship with this with this quote beast, um, and it immediately humanizes not, not humanizes but personizes whatever the raincore right because of Malachili's feelings, um, and and I mentioned that tales from the Jabba's palace story because the whole story in that book is Malachili is. He's stuck at Jabba's, kind of working there temporarily until he's got enough money to get out with his Rancor. And I believe because in the old Legends canon, Rancors are native to Dathmir, uh, he's going to take it to Dathmir. And there's a few scenes in the story where they're outside of the palace and he's running around with the Rancor and he's riding him. It's so adorable. And um, as somebody who has like rescue pets, uh, the Rancor like is kind of his rescue pet and I have some friends that have a rescue dog that is very aggressive um, oftentimes because of, you know, the trauma it clearly had before coming to their home. And the thing is, is right. It's it'd be easy to just label the dog as like a mean, aggressive dog. But then you have to remember that a lot of times like these aggressive herd animals are are products of their own trauma. Right. Um, so Malachili just he just seems to be this compassionate soul who who wants nothing more than to be with his be with his best bud pet, you know. So um, I've just I've always loved Malakili for that reason. That's a great pick. Uh, I love that. Um, and and a perfect example of because to me when I was making my list, I kept coming back to this idea of world building and why that's that's a huge part of for at least for me what makes star wars so special is that there are these little just fleeting moments that add mm-hmm. so much it's, there's you know when i'm talking to my my students um about how to write concisely it's the thing that i get asked about a lot um it seems like this sort of like intimidating mysterious thing i try to use this metaphor of economy of words how many how much how much can you communicate with with how little uh, how few words or how little information. Uh, and I feel like this is very similar in the sense of, you know, that was maybe what, two seconds of yeah. him sniffling. Yep. Uh, and yet told the whole story. Yep. Yeah. What? It, yeah. That's so true. You know, and, and that's what good world building does is uh, it, and it, it, like, that's just fun. George Lucas storytelling too. I feel like, you know, the story with Luke is over. He's been we've seen him rushed off and yet he chooses to stay on this um, interesting looking chubby fella and, you know, um, give us this emotional beat, uh, which I just think is right. really fun. So much so that there's a whole subplot of the Rancor in the Book of Boba Fett, right, where they, you know, yeah. which I found delightful, where they, they have Danny Trejo coming in and the whole thing about you know you can the this new new knowledge that you can imprint on uh, a rancor 
so that they will be your faithful companion. Love it. Love it. Um, well, what is your, what is your final honorable mention? My final honorable mention, this was tough. Um, I'm going to sneak in sort of just a shout out to who made, uh, who could have been in this spot, but ultimately I landed on Paz Vizla, um, from the Mandalorian. Yep. Uh, and I think that Paz Vizla for me made the cut because he, to me, is the closest thing to that Boba Fett, original Empire Strikes Back Boba Fett comp. Mm. Of he's, he's, and he's in a lot more in terms of just literal screen time, but we, he's mostly there to create conflict for Mando. And he's not necessarily there as his own fully fledged character, right? He, he expresses that he feels as though he has a claim to the Darksaber. Um, but otherwise, he's just there. He just like looks really cool and, uh, and is there to, to sort of like further the plot along. Um, and, but, but to me, it was also just like a really nice unspoken tie in to all of the history of Mandalore that we've gotten through the Clone Wars animated series and, and all sorts of other stuff. Um, because he has that, that, that lineage that goes all the way back to Tari Vizla, Right. Mm. Um, uh, so that's why he's, he's on here mainly because I, I, I thought that, that, you know, in Mando and in, in the Mandalorian, he has that kind of mystique still because we don't I actually don't I couldn't tell you about his own life, like what he was doing before we meet him in the Mandalorian. Um, and also he's voiced by Jon Favreau, um, you know, who, so that's a really fun sort of like Easter eggy. Yeah. Um, thing. Yeah, he's he is, a, you know. As far as look goes, he's one of the coolest looking Mandalorians we've had. Um, and yeah, I mean, I just I, I don't really have much to add because he said it so well. And I think um, I appreciate you pointing out how he does just kind of capture that 1980 Boba Fett energy of who is this guy? Um, mm-hmm. And I think, right, like, as you said, kind of at the top of the episode, I think part of what makes the minor characters appealing to anybody is that there is there's just something there that intrigues you to want to know more. Um, so, you know, like you said, what is it that makes him think he has a claim to the saber? Um, I mean, I think at the end of the day, anybody from Mandalore can seems like they could maybe make a claim to it if they are willing to fight for it. Um, so it, it tells us that he's somebody who who's who. Uh, he doesn't, and he doesn't like come across as arrogant. Like he's he's not acting entitled. Like this belongs to me. Give it to me. It's just more of, um, I think he sees Mando is maybe a bit weak and not capable, and he's just like, listen, we need someone strong. That's not you. Give it to me, or I'm gonna take it. So, um, which is just really intriguing. Yeah, for sure, and. Uh and implies so much. I think also if, we're, if I'm thinking more carefully, because I'm like, why does he look so cool? I think he has a little bit chunkier armor than mm. a lot of other Mandalorians. I mean, he is classified as the the heavy. I'm gonna get the name wrong. Heavy infantry. That sounds right to me. Maybe? Sure. Yeah, he's the arc trooper of Mandalorians. <laughs> yeah. Um, um. Yeah. Yeah, and and that's what and, is, and especially in that first episode he appears in, which I think is episode three of season one of Man- the Mandalorian, um, when he he kind of returns to save the day with all this yeah. with the, all the other uh, Mandalorians that he's with. Um, that's just one of those like yeah fist pump sort of like this is so cool so, moments yeah. that I love. 
Yeah, I love that. That's one of my favorite moments across both seasons is is when uh, they he and Mando also exchange that this is the way. Um, yes, with each other before he you know covers for Mando. It's just it's such a beautiful little moment. I love it. Um, oh, it's worth just mentioning that even. So thanks, Jen. <laughs> um, no problem. Well, my, fine- but my I meant to. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I've. Um- I realized that I didn't want to leave this hanging, um, but my my shout out. I'm not going to talk about her, but my shout out for who could have very easily been in the spot is Barris Afi, um, because she is so crucial to Ahsoka's um, story. And um, so, if you if you don't recognize her name in the Clone Wars, she's the one who frames Ahsoka, and then ultimately, which ultimately motivates Ahsoka to leave the Jedi Order. So yeah. she's my shout out. I, I didn't end up putting her on here because instead of Paz Lizla, because a I, I don't actually like I don't like her. <laughs> so that was hard for me. It was hard for me to give her a spot, but I know she's really important in terms of minor characters. Mm, yeah. Um well, my my final honorable mention is Mon Mothma, um who I feel like I can sneak in now because it sounds like with Andor coming out at the end of August, uh I think her role will switch from minor to potential major character. Um and you know, thinking about, again, kind of the conversation we were having at the start, she's she's a very integral part to the plot. I mean, she is in a huge way responsible for the existence of the Alliance, but she's she gets really one scene. Um, and she gets no scenes in the prequels because her scenes are all cut out. Um, you know, and, and, and again, folks who have been listening to the show for a while know how much I love the Matthew Stover Revenge of the Sith novel. All of her stuff is in there. All, all of that stuff that was cut from the movie is in that book. So that also makes me love her more. Um, but even just in Return of the Jedi, um, I've always gotten a kick out of the the actor that plays her, Caroline uh, Blackiston. I think is how you say her last name. But she, she seems just like a very 60s spirit person, <laughs> like very like floaty toady and she she was on an interview and, and said yes to me she's moon mother um i couldn't find that i wanted to like find that clip to play but i couldn't find it um <laughs> but just i think what i really love about mon mothma even in that scene is in return of the jedi like everything's coming to a head and then we you know we've always assumed leia is just kind of the de facto leader of the alliance and then somebody else steps in and it's also a woman and and i think that's just really important because you know, we had this conversation off air, but there's not a lot of minor Star Wars characters that are female, um, which is indicative of, you know, them falling short for a little while, for a long time in, in the in the in the storytelling. Um, but I think Mon Mothma is just she's just this really powerful yet gentle character that comes in very soft spoken, but very committed to the cause. And obviously she has been fleshed out more in light of Rebels. Um, Rebels really shows her working to form this alliance. Um, but I think what I love most about her um, is just the fact that she's not afraid to stand up to Palpatine, you know, which just says volumes about her. Um, mm-hmm. And again, in Rebels, we learned that she essentially has to defect from the Imperial Senate because now she is essentially wanted for treason, you know, made up charges. Um, and she finally is stepping out and stepping up to create this alliance. And um, I think in a lot of ways, especially if you've, if you've watched the deleted scenes or read the revenge of the Sith novel, she kind of helps perpetuate the fight for democracy that Padme started. 
Um, so not not to, I'm not trying to belittle Mon Mothma that she didn't have these this this desire on her own, but because Padme is is now deceased. Mon Mothma continues the fight for that spirit alongside Bale, of course. Like you can't you can't diminish his importance in this in this particular fight. But Mon Mothma puts everything at risk. Um, I mean, we know she's from Chandrilla, which is a core world almost as opulent as Coruscant. Um, so you know, a very similar story to Padme in the sense of growing up having a lot of privilege, but using said privilege for those who don't. Um, and uh, yeah, and and. I mean, just that scene in Return of the Jedi has always struck me as like, this is, I really love this character. Um, and yeah, uh, that's, oh, I guess that's all I got to say. <laughs> no, that's a great pick. I, the reason uh, she's not on my list at all um, is because of Andor. And I think, because I feel like she she is very quickly going to become a very major character. Um, but I think that that's, she's overdue. Uh, sort of based on what you're saying, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, I think a lot of people have been waiting for getting to know her better, um, more personally, right? Not just kind of seeing her as a figure, because I think she has been a very key authoritative figure in the rebellion over over her history, um, but has not actually, like, I couldn't tell you what she likes or doesn't like, or like, anything <laughs> about her, or, you know, her personality, other than she's very stately, right? Um so I'm really looking forward to her big role in Andor. I think the trailer really implied that we're going to get a, like almost half and half. It seemed like in terms of we're like half of it's going to be with Cassie and Andor, uh, kind of boots on the ground. Half of it's going to be in this more political arena. Uh, I think Greg, our mutual friend Greg, uh, Ion Cannon, um, mentioned that uh, he's hoping that it's basically the West Wing. In Star Wars, but with Mon Mothma, and I love that idea, and I hope that's true. Uh, that would be fun. That would be really fun. Um, except I don't think in West Wing they ever had to go up against an emperor, so totally different vibe. But, very, but no, very but, true. Very but, true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I love that. Um, but well, the, just, just give me one walk and talk, and I'll be happy. <laughs> Oh, um, well, let's go into the the top five list. Who is your number five? My number five, uh, there may be a little bit of recency bias happening here, but my number five is Tika, the Jawa from Obi-Wan Kenobi. Uh, and part of this is just because I found him to be delightful and funny. And again, doing that thing of, I don't really know who he is, but in a very short amount of time in his in his conversation with Obi-Wan, you get the sense that he's a fully formed character and I want to know more about him. I want to know what he's been doing. What is he doing when he's not hassling Obi-Wan? Um, you know, what is his history? Why, how did he meet Obi-Wan? I had all these questions. I wanted to know more. Uh, and I think that Jawas recently have been getting a lot more time to shine in general, uh, you know, starting with in, in sort of recent canon entries, starting with the Mandalorian uh and and now with with Tika, I do think historically they they are sort of an amorphous group. Right, we usually get a group, you know, starting with with a New Hope. There's just a bunch of them running around, and we don't get to they're not named necessarily. So I really liked that Tika has a name. He's an individual. Through that one scene with Obi Wan, I get a sense that he's an indi- like he's an individual Jawa that I would want to know. Um, so I really love that. And you know, I've already pre ordered his action figure. Uh, which is always a sign. <laughs> this is a character I really like. Um, and he's just so fun. 
funny, right? That he's he's stealing uh, Obi Wan's stuff to then sell it back to him, which is you know very classic Noah uh, sensibility. <laughs> yeah, no, that's oh, I love that. I, I because, like you said, I mean, the Jawas have always been up until recently uh, just kind of this collective communal group. There's never been a strong sense of individuality among them. And now we've gotten a few of them. And is, is Tika the first one to really be named too? I mean, I'm thinking, cause obviously there's a couple of them that, that have relations with Peli and uh, book of Boba Fett as well. Um, but I don't think they get named. So I feel like Tika might be the first named on screen Jawa. Um, but I, I didn't have time to can fact check that, so I didn't no, want to go on a limb and say it. But I think you might be right. That's sort of why. why yeah, I no, it's yeah, list. and well, it's funny, you know, because when so chapter two of of uh, Mandalorian, so from season one, the second episode is still my favorite episode of the whole show, and I love the the um, chasing the Jawas and climbing around on the sand crawler, and I remember when that episode first came out. I immediately grabbed off my bookshelf the Tales from Jabba's – or not from Jabba's Tales, from uh, the Mos Eisley Cantina, which has a, st- a short story about a Jawa in there who does have a name. I can't remember it. Um, it's it's v- very long with lots of vowels. It's, it would be very hard to pronounce even if I did. Um, but I, that's the first one I remember in print getting named. But I'm pretty sure Tika is the first named Jawa on, on screen and very you might be right. A quick Google search <laughs> – confirms this i think but if you're listening and we're wrong yeah let us know please add please add us yeah um and well and and jenna it's 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 interesting too because again kind of going back to the to this anchor point you you told us at the start which is a good minor character makes you want to know more about them uh what i immediately like want to know about tika is is he part of a jawa group and he's just kind of their spokesperson or is he kind of kind of going on his own like right we because we always assume jawas are this communal group they always work together Uh, but perhaps he's kind of started his own business on his on the side but everything he's learned from the jawa community is is obviously still with him so right these are these are great questions that we we may someday learn Hopefully. I would love a five-issue comic book run of answering those questions uh, where we just see it. Like maybe he has a, a massive rift with his, his, his uh, group. Of, do we know what a group of Jawas should be called? I don't. Do they go, do I they don't go by a name? Because yeah, I, I, keep, I keep wanting to say pack or herd, and that's really demeaning. So <laughs> Just community. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the the you know from his family, I guess is, that's the proper term we probably should use if we don't have something official. Uh, you know, did he did he have some kind of rift with his family, and then he's off on his own, isolating himself, sort of like Obi Wan? Yeah, I, I I'd love to know. Yeah. Um. Well, uh, my number five is actually so kind of almost the opposite end of your recency bias is my nostalgia bias, and I'll be curious to see if if I'm allowed to call this a minor character, but it's Wedge Antilles. And to me, Wedge is certainly a minor character on screen. Um, Now, granted, part of the reason I grew to love him was because when I was a kid in the mid nineties, we got the X-Wing series. Um, We got X-Wings video games. Like Wedge was popping up all over. So to be fair, that's part of the reason I've like come to love him. Um, 
but he was the first person that came to mind. Like whenever I think of minor characters, Wedge is just typically the first to come to mind because when I was young, falling in love with Star Wars, playing this with my cousins, my my cousin who was my best friend, like Wedge was his favorite, like go to. And I'm like, I don't get it. Like you don't like like Luke or Han more? He's like, no, Wedge is my favorite. I'm like the hell? How, why? He's got like a minute of screen time. But like, but it also right like it's this is the excitement of minor characters in Star Wars. Um, and the thing that I always loved about Wedge and still appreciate greatly about Wedge, because again, if you if you've not read the X Wing series by Michael Stackpole, you, you don't know a lot about Wedge. <laughs> um, but what I loved about Wedge is he was kind of the everyday hero um, that no one else on screen kind of was. Like Luke had the Force. Yes, Han Han is kind of meant to be that, but he's Han Solo rubbing shoulders with Leia and Luke, and like he there was always just something that felt extra special about him he was supposedly like the best smuggler too so right like there was something iconic about all of those characters and then you get wedge who's just again like on screen just appears to be the one who wants to fight the good fight i love that we get his his defection story in rebels that sabine is you know directly responsible for him being able to defect from the imperial academy um and that's what i just love about wedge is wedge just wants to do what's right um, he joins the Empire, kind of similar to Tala, thinking that he's joining the right thing. Um, and then when he starts to learn what they're really about, wants to figure out a way to jump ship and, and, and fight for what's right. Um, so that's just something I've, I really appreciate about Wedge. Um, he, there's also an optimism to him. Like he, he kind of just seems like a hype guy. When, he, when you get him in that cockpit, he's like your hype guy. I, I would love Wedge to be my wingman. Um, you know, I strolling into the Outlander Club with Wedge Antilles, like I might actually get a date. Um, so, you know, I I've just always appreciated Wedge for that capacity. And again, right, like if you've read the X Wing series, and I did a long time ago, I don't remember a lot of it, but obviously he is a main character in that whole series. Um, and I know that solidified my love for him more. But even barring that, you know, just seeing him on screen, it was like wow, this guy's great. Like I, I could actually be him. Like I'm not a good smuggler. I don't have the force, but I could be wedge. I could, I could commit myself to at least fighting the good fight. Oh, I love that. Uh, do we, do we know if it has the history of him and Luke specifically been filled in? Because what I love about him in the original trilogy is he basically just has that one line where he's literally running by and is like, like says something to Luke referencing their, their, childhood together basically right um and and that's it and it's like implies again implies so much backstory that but doesn't bog it down bog the story down with going explaining it right um so do you know from the novels if we ever see that Uh, mm, i don't think so although i did just remember that he does appear in the new canon trilogy of uh, he's he shows up in the aftermath trilogy by chuck wendig i almost forgot about that because because uh wexler um, goes back to try to recruit him because he's, I think he ends up marrying his mother. Um, so there's a little bit of him in there. And there, I remember like, mm-hmm, again, mm-hmm. I, I read that a while ago, but I feel like I remember he's, there's this reluctance for him to join the new Republic's uh, military because he's, you know, his fighting days are over. Like I, I fought for what I believed in. We won. I'm, I'm good. And there's kind of this reluctance and there's this, I, if I remember correctly, there's a little bit of anticipation, uh, anxiety that, that Wesley wants to get so in, involved. Um, but again, I'm, 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 I could be misremembering. So uh, it's been a while since I, I have read aftermath. It's been a while though, but I remember he has a pretty big role in it. Yeah. Uh, 
but I, but but mostly focusing on like you said sort of the his old his later life right uh, as opposed to his past but I, so disney if you're listening yeah if we've already cast child actors as luke let give us give us the you know teenage antics give us the the <laughs> what were luke and wedge up to when yeah. they were kids series i and you know i will say um obviously lots of people have issues with episode nine and, and I, overall i enjoy the movie very much but the one thing that drives me nuts is that wedge cameo is in the gunner seat of the falcon he should be in a damn x-wing <laughs> like that is the one thing that i was like i was when we learned dennis lawson was coming back and i mean he has maybe two seconds right let's let's do this lando that's it that's it i mean that's probably two seconds but it's like it should have been him saying that from the cockpit of an x-wing not the belly yes. of the falcon like i just what a missed opportunity <laughs> So, agreed agreed sorry. that's my uh, one little actually, whiny complaint that's a totally valid complaint and actually is the tip of the iceberg and complaints that people have that's a, movie, very so. true yeah <laughs> uh but speaking of of Dennis Lawson I he's been all over social, social media the past couple of days because he is starring I believe I'm gonna get facts about this wrong probably but he's starring in a play and Ewan McGregor his nephew I believe is uh, helping him promote the show. So there's some photo of the two of them where the internet is like, look, it's Obi-Wan and Wedge. That's really cute. <laughs> I like that. That's really fun. I wonder if he's a good singer like Ewan. Ooh, that's a good question. And you could tell everybody this is your X-Wing. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm no Ewan. <laughs> Star Wars the Musical, make it happen. Oh, I would love Star Wars the Musical. <laughs> Yeah, now I'm gonna look up what play what play it is. Hold on. Awesome. Um, yeah. Well, you know, as you look that up again, to me, Wedge was just when when we you and I were kind of having our back and forth about what we wanted to talk about when we settled on this. I mean, the first person was Wedge, and there I have such a plethora of minor characters I love that I almost didn't put Wedge in the list, but I was like, he's my longest standing favorite minor character. So even though he's not particularly my favorite anymore. I felt like obligated for that nostalgia bias to, to, to make sure I had his place for him. Anything goes is the show. So he can oh, sing. Okay. That is a musical. Ooh. I believe, I believe that is a Cole Porter musical. Oh my goodness. So depending on what part he has, he may be singing. Oh, what, what fun. <laughs> love it. Love it. <laughs> love it. Um, I, I did not spoiler. I did not put any, uh, X-Wing pilots on my list because I predicted that you would put Wedge on yours. So, Oh, wow. Glad we had that covered. I'm glad we do, too. <laughs> um, all right. Well, what is your number four? I should say what. Who is your number four? <laughs> my my number four is the Bendu uh, from Star Wars Rebels. The one in the middle. Uh, this is the weirdest pick I have. Uh, <laughs> but in my heart, I knew it to be true. Uh, I love the Bendu because... And, and I did go back and forth. I'm like, is he minor enough? He does have a lot of scenes. He's in three episodes. <laughs> But I think he qualifies based on my criteria of we don't actually – he's there. He's doing stuff. He's furthering the plot, sort of playing off of Ezra and Kanan. But we don't actually know that much about where he came from or who he is or what he is even. Um, so I think to me, one of my favorite things about Rebels as a series is how it really expanded Star Wars lore mm. uh, and especially the ancient lore. Uh, and like just sort of blew it wide open in ways that I never would have expected uh, the series to based on the premise. And that was sort of one of the delightful discoveries, especially as the as the seasons go on. I think it gets more and more mystical 
Uh, and the Bendu to me is really representative of this because he's this not only literally huge character, but huge in the sense that we've never, I at least have never seen anything in Star Wars like him before. He's massive, but also he is, he's connected, deeply connected to the force, but keeps saying that he's neutral. He's in the middle. He rejects the, the light side, dark side binary altogether, which to me is super interesting because I, you know, with characters like Ahsoka, I think we've, we've come close to this idea of the gray Jedi or the Jedi that, is not a is is no Jedi, but but is somewhere you know connected with the Force and is good, but is is not necessarily in that binary uh, strictly. And I really I really love that just idea, and I thought that the Bendo brought that in very nicely. Uh, he's voiced by Tom Baker, who, if you were a Doctor Who fan, is a huge figure, and also just. I was rewatching some some YouTube clips uh, with the, with his scenes uh, from Rebels this morning, and I had just forgotten how robust and rich his voice is. So just from a voice acting perspective alone, I love the Bendu. Just the way he says everything with this sort of like deep snarl uh, is is really really appealing and and kind of implies all this like ancient history. And he everything he says is super cryptic. Uh, in a way that I wanted to know more and in a way that, that I feel like we could get a lot of backstory, you know, I, to, to make a, a comparison to the Lord of the Rings, I, I kind of want the Cimmerillion, but with the Bendu, mm-hmm. like that sort of like more mythological tale of like how, who, what is his place within the history of the force, uh, and, and the ancient history of Star Wars that we, we don't know a ton about. Um, so yeah, that's. That's my strange, my strange pick. And I, at this point, I'm like, um, I'm really not going to have that many humans on my list, am I? Oops. <laughs> no, that's great. I think that's great. Um, and uh, I know Jason would be jumping up and down with joy because he loves the Bendo and is obsessed with Tom Baker. Um, that's his. I know that's his favorite. I'm not a Doctor Who person, but Jason's a big Doctor Who person. Um, so I'm, I'm, he'll be delighted to hear this. Um, and. You know, I mean, like you said, I think what's so fascinating about the Bendu is kind of this this ancientness connected to him. Um, and what I love most just about the character is that he does kind of become a de facto new master to Kanan. Um, like, I mean, as a huge Kanan fan, um, I care more about the Bendu in the context of his story than necessarily the context of who the Bendu is. Um, not to be a complete jerk here, but... <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I mean, I think he, he steps in and, and plays a really integral role in helping Kanan re-understand who he is and what his role is. And, you know, he never seems to condemn Kanan for being a Jedi. Um, I mean, he does seem to have a, a general condemnation of those binaries, but doesn't specifically personally condemn Kanan for going down that path, um, but rather just pushes him to see the Force in a more holistic way. Um, and I think... Uh, I also just love the way that uh, he completely perplexes Thrawn. Um, you know, I, I've never been a Thrawn person. You know, uh, Greg and I share a, a very good friend of who's she. I mean, she is deeply in love with Star Wars now because of Thrawn. Um, and, uh, you know, Thrawn just he's just never interested me because mainly because he is just so rational. He's so like empirical based. And that's not that's not me at all. Um, I mean, of course, those things matter and they are important and I accept them. But those aren't the types of characters that get me excited. So I love that the Bendu confounds Thrawn, that he represents something Thrawn cannot 
understand. Yeah. You know, when he thinks yeah. he's killed he him. He really and then shakes him. Like, really Ron does. looks very distressed. Yes. And I remember. I, and I love that. Um, and I would love to see what comes of the Bendu. You know, it, to your point, I think there is some food for thought because it, it's such a huge concept to introduce that then never really gets touched again. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'd love to yeah, see. Yeah, to go back to one of your earlier points, I, I, I also love the kind of confrontations that he has with Kanan. There's one scene in particular where Kanan's calling him a coward and he's saying, mm-hmm. you know, I I once like you thought I could sort of stay out of this, but I can't stand by. I need, And when I know that I can do something... And the Bendu's response is, you know, very reasonable for someone who's been around for for centuries and centuries. He says, I am the the rock. I don't know if he says this in this scene, but at some point he says, I am the rock in the river. And I don't have, basically, I don't have time for your petty human sh- shenanigans, right? He's like, there's a bigger picture here. Y- you know, you do you, but that's, that's, I don't, don't make me feel bad for not intervening that's not my place in the universe, basically. So I, I love the idea that, that, that in Star Wars we would have a being that is so incredibly ancient that, that the primary, you know, the primary wars in Star Wars mean nothing to him, basically. Yeah. Um, I find that so interesting. Also, you know, to kind of tie it back to, into upcoming uh, shows, uh, I, I remembered when I was kind of researching the Bendu this morning, I remembered that uh, Dave Filoni actually tweeted uh, a scene that he had kind of, he had written and sketched out between the Bendu and Ahsoka. Mm. Um, and it, it's, it, it's very, you know, a typical, like, like she, they're talking about her upcoming confrontation with Vader, I believe. And he's sort of implying that she, that she'll never be the same afterwards. And then he, he like, he he says something about death, and she's like, "Am I going to die?" And he's like, "Oh, I didn't know that." Bye. <laughs> in a very like, in a very like you know cryptic and frustrating way. Uh, so since that's something we never actually got on screen, the thought occurred to me: What if the Bendu shows up in the Ahsoka series? I don't know if the, how feasible that is, but that would be amazing. That would be really cool. I just love to hear Tom Baker's deliciously smooth voice again. Um, yes. I don't know if it's so much smooth. It's just like rich. It's just it's like it's like a flannel blanket with like really good hot chocolate mixed in. You know, it's just so good. Um, yes, he's yeah. one of those voice act one of those actors right now. He's not just a voice actor who could read the phone book. Though we don't have phone books anymore, so this reference is not as meaningful to most of our <laughs> listeners probably. But uh, you know, he could read he could read anything, and it would be exciting. it would be exciting. Yeah. Um, well, my number four is also a larger-than-life character, not quite as large as a Bendu, but he is everybody's favorite diner owner, the good old Dexter Jetster. I love me some Dex. Um, and quick shout-out again to our, our mutual uh, wonderful friend Greg uh, for bringing me back some dope Dexter Jetster swag from Celebration. Um, I'm just so in love with it. Um, so, again, thank you, Greg. Um, Did you end up with the shirt? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I did ask Greg to pick that up for me. And honestly, it's the most comfortable shirt I own. It is so, so comfy. Did you get one? I did not. I ended up with the mug. Okay, nice. Because I'm more of a a mug person. And, you know, not sorry, listeners, this is probably information you don't need. But that style of shirt, it's one of those. um, Yeah, like the the, the ribbed. The bands on the sleeves. Not really my 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 style, so I was like, eh, "Am I really?" I love the design of it and the idea that it's in universe. So, for if you're if you're like, "What are we talking about? Why are we talking about deck?" I thought we were talking about decks. We're talking about shirts. 
uh, in the celebration store this year, there was uh, several pieces actually uh, that are set in universe. So it's like if you went to Dex's diner and bought a shirt or a mug, this is what it would look like. It's branded with it. And there's a neon sign. There was a bunch of stuff. Yeah. There's so much, so much good stuff. Um, but yeah, anyway, I, I love, I just love Dex. I've loved him since I first saw Attack of the Clones, and that love has just deepened over the years. Um, because to me, uh, Dex is what Django claims to be in Attack of the Clones. He actually is a simple man making his way through the universe. Django is a complicated man doing questionable things making his way through the universe. Whereas Dex, all the dude wants to do is just find a content little place to be and and cook. You know who he reminds me of in light of High Republic? Good old Porter Angle. Just wants to retire and make soup. Um, I love this about Dex, that he is just this jolly, happy character who is delighted to see us when we come in um, and just there's just there's something so simple and when i say simple i don't mean stupid i mean simple in the purest good sense of this is a character especially embedded in this particular story where everybody is so you know we're trying to figure out murder plots and our our emotions and like being drawn to somebody but not being allowed to like in the midst of all of this kind of craziness you just have this person who's just a jolly happy fellow who's very content with what he's doing in, in, in the galaxy. Um, doesn't need to be involved with all the big things, but just loves where he's at. Um, and uh, that's what I love most about him. And um, I do, you know, I do really appreciate that he, you know, he's pals with somebody like Obi-Wan Kenobi. Um, it shows that he can really get along with anybody and everybody. Like that's the sense you get when you walk into Dex's diner that there's, there's the, you know, there's the factory worker and there's the everyday politician sitting at that counter together, that there's something about Dex that feels very harmonious. Uh, maybe it's his forearms that will give you the best hug probably you'd ever get. Um, even though he's covered in grease stains from the kitchen. Um, he's just, he's just so lovable. Um, and and I, I was like, gonna say if we if we're doing top five hugs in Star Wars, he's number one. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, and he just I love that. And again, we'd obviously we see very little of him, but when dealing with somebody like Obi Wan Kenobi, who especially in the prequels is still a very consummate Jedi, um, very by the book, the fact that he can give Obi Wan this sense of silliness. Um, really speaks to Dex, that Dex never changes who he is depending on who he's talking to. And I think that that like it, it provides this sense of comfort. And um, I don't know about you, Jen, but I love diner food. I don't care if it's even trashy diner food, like diner food can never go wrong for me because to me, it's the pinnacle of comfort food. And who, who's, who could be more comforting than Dex? So he's definitely want to again he's just i just love him so much and and it was great seeing him in brotherhood and and what they chose to do with him in brotherhood is again kind of dig a little bit deeper into the fact that he's had a long history um we can uh, i didn't again i didn't wikipedia this but he's a basilic um and i think we can assume they probably have longer lifespans than humans um so he's he's clearly lived a, a very full life he's had a very hard working life um and is very willing to share that wisdom with somebody like Obi-Wan. Um, and, and we get to see more of that in Brotherhood when he interacts with Obi-Wan there and Anakin. Um, and a very slight spoiler, because 
I can't remember when um, Kirsten White's Padawan book comes out, but he does appear in that, which I know comes out oh, sometime right. this month. I got to read an advanced copy um, and, and that shoot, that is even a bit of a spoiler saying he's in it, but, but he's in it and it's, and it's lovely. He's just so great. Um, so yeah, yeah. I, always, always happy to talk about my boy. I have so many questions for you based on that, but I don't want to uh, corner you into giving spoilers. So I'm not going to ask. <laughs> Uh, so, so Dex is actually my number three. So we're very much in sync Ooh, here. Yay. Um, yes. Uh, and in fact, my first bullet point on my notes is Carl will probably pick him, but I don't care <laughs> <laughs> because I love him so much too. Uh, he's easily my favorite part of Attack of the Clones, uh, because my, my favorite, my favorite Kenobi is Detective Kenobi, and to me, that's the huge appeal of Attack of the Clones, is the the Detective Kenobi plot and trying to figure out what's going on and going to, you know, figuring out that he has to go to Kamino. And I just want, I just want to know what happens, how did they meet? I want to know their history because, again, there's so much implied in the conversation, which that scene is pretty short, Mm -hmm. I want to say. Yeah. Uh, And yet they imply so much so much of a past relationship and a history between the two of them that they've really bonded and become friends. I want to know how that happened. I want to see that happen. Uh, and, and especially, yeah, give me like a, a spy mission a- adventure with, with Dex and Obi-Wan. I will, I will be the first person to want to line up for that. <laughs> uh, because I also, I love anything that's has film noir vibes, uh, anything that has in the, this is generally in the spy genre or in the, the detective genre. Uh, so, so yeah, this is, this was an easy pick for me because, you know, he does appear in other things, but I feel like if you just watch and in particular, uh, you know, having recently read brotherhood, you know, he does pop up in that, but he still is just a supporting, like not a supporting, mm. he is still a minor character in the sense that we never know who he is. We just know that he's the guy who can get information. Yeah. Right. Uh, we don't know sort of like where he came from. I want to know how he sets up his diner. Like, how is it that yes. he arrived at a That's place in his life where he's I like, want. you know what I yeah. want to do? Open yeah. a diner. Yes. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, I think maybe worth noting in Brotherhood, um, I mean, in, in in Attack of the Clones, he kind of just gives Obi-Wan information, kind of just these are the cold hard facts. This is where that thing comes from. These Kaminoans. Here's where you can find them. But what I like about Brotherhood is that he kind of challenges Obi-Wan to think to think about how to negotiate with the Nemoidians. Um, and that's where I think actually more so than Attack of the Clones. Attack of the Clones, he actually just shares knowledge. Brotherhood, he actually shares wisdom. Because wisdom. He, yeah. he's, he's encouraging Obi-Wan to rethink, how are you going to talk to these people? How are you going to present a case that they'll believe in? Um, and I love that he doesn't necessarily answer it. But that's that's the sign of wisdom is that he, he wisdom calls your brain to expand a bit bigger and, and think about things in a new way. And we get that little tidbit in, in Brotherhood, which is lovely. I'm going to push back on that. OK, because in the attack of the clone scene, he does have that comment about I thought Jedi knew the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Mm, true. Yeah. Right. Yes. Because he's like, you're, you're not I'm not don't just take this information at face value. You have to put it in context. Right. Uh, which then has a huge influence on Obi-Wan, especially in Brotherhood, where where we see that he's always kind of like, no, but what information in of itself is is neutral. It's the context in which that information is presented that that can sway things one way or the other. Great point. Yes. I stand corrected. <laughs> Thank you for okay. the wisdom. I had to get that in there. Yeah, no, yeah. I'm, I'm just so glad that we, we had a um, – I'm glad that we shared this one too. Um, 
And the great thing I is, I kind of knew. You know, I have the advantage as, as a, a listener of this podcast. Uh, I have more of a, a more leverage on what I think he would pay. <laughs> well, and the lovely thing is, is with those four arms, he could hug us both at the same time. So you know, true. which is so, so lovely. <laughs> um, so I'll be honest. So my number three, um, it is it, it could go back and forth between Dex and my number three. These two kind of run up against each other. Um, and now, actually, as we've both just loved on Dex, I feel like, oh, he should have been my three. But whatever. My number three is Captain Tarples. Um, I absolutely love the Gungans. And I love that that Captain Tarples represents kind of this warrior class within the Gungan society. And what I like about what Captain Tarples kind of represents is that he doesn't love violence and war, but he loves being a warrior. And I think that that's a nice distinction, right? I mean, I think that's what the Jedi are supposed to be as well in some capacities, um, that they, they protect people, but they aren't necessarily – excited about the violence aspect of, of that duty. Um, I love Captain Tarples in part because I just love Otto Gunga. I think it's one of the most imaginatively beautiful worlds in Star Wars. Um, and Captain Tarples is the protector of that space. So like my heart is just endeared to him because of the fact that he protects a place that I love. <laughs> so um, I love that about him. And I also what is something else I really think is wonderful about his character is he certainly sees Jar Jar as a bit of a nuisance, but he doesn't see Jar Jar as useless. And I think the way in which we that's that's perfectly showcased is at the end of the movie when Jar Jar gets a, an impromptu promotion to general, Tarples doesn't have any issue with it. He just immediately accepts it and accepts Jar Jar as his superior and even tries to help Jar Jar along as being a leader. Um, that just tells you what kind of person Captain Tarples is, is he doesn't hold grudges. He doesn't hold uh, prejudices. Um, he's just he loves his people and will do whatever he can for the for the safety and protection of his people. And I just that endears me to him so much. And I'd be remiss not to also shout out the fact that he takes on General Grievous and essentially beats him. Like, that's pretty badass. Like, I love that episode of Clone Wars. And the thing that obviously breaks my heart is that his he sacrifices his life so that they can capture Grievous. And then stupid Anakin screws it all up by getting captured. <laughs> so thanks, Anakin, um, for screwing up Tarples. Um, but... Uh, you know, everybody that wants to get mad about, you know, uh, the sequel trilogy undoing Anakin's sacrifice in Return of the Jedi, you better be getting mad about Captain Tarple's sacrifice getting undone by Anakin then. <laughs> um, so anyway, but yeah, I just I love Captain <laughs> Tarple's. You know, I mean, there's so many great Gungans. Um, and, you know, I, th- I I just yeah, like as soon as he comes on to screen, it's there's just this quiet dignity to him. Um, and. A nice reminder that because I think something uh, Greg Jason and I talked about this last week while talking about brotherhood. Sometimes in Star Wars, we, we had this conversation in the context of Nemoidians, right? That Nemoidians, every Nemoidian is bad because of Newt Gunray yeah. and Rune Hako. Um, Star Wars, a lot of times, has just kind of made these suppositions that, you know, if there's a villain, whatever their race is, is also therefore that whole race is villainous. What I appreciate with Captain Turples is that there's he's a quick juxtaposition to Jar Jar. Not every Gungan is just like this goofy, bumbling person. Like that, there's 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 this um, diversity 
to the Gungan population. Um, so I also appreciate that. So that is my number three. This is a great pick because I get, I'm going to full confession. I completely forgot this character existed. <laughs> when when I was thinking about the Gungans in terms of compiling our master list of like, well, who could even be in contention for this? I went Boss Nass because he, to me, he's a little bit more memorable in terms of like he's, he, his lines in Phantom Medicine sure. and all that. But I love this. I love your explanation. And I do think it's a really good point because, you know, I think Greg, I'm not going to repeat what Greg said on your brotherhood episode, because it was so eloquent, but I'm just going to reference that and say, if you are listening to this, but you haven't listened to that episode, go read brotherhood and go re- listen. To that <laughs> Here's your homework. <laughs> because this explanation of sort of how the, the discourse around uh, representation of the aliens in the prequel trilogy and especially Phantom Menace uh, and how, and how they are problematic uh, and sort of the idea of how we, how do we move forward with, with that, discourse and and in the context of of worlds and characters and species that we love uh i thought that was just a great a great way to think about it in a very productive and positive way yeah i mean and what you're saying it completely adds to that right in the sense mm. of like you know not all the like let's not lump all the gungans in with jar jar whatever issues people may have with jar jar um or however you may feel about that one character right <laughs> like that we we shouldn't uh build a stereotype for the species around just that one character sure yeah um well uh who is your number two my number two uh and again i don't know maybe my mic won't pick this up uh my number two got that (laughs) yes okay um my number two is salacious crumb uh and again, I feel like this is this is an answer that maybe a lot of people would give, uh, but it's one that brings me so much joy that I I just couldn't leave him off my list. Uh, it just again, he just laughs in Return of the Jedi. That's all he does. <laughs> well, and he, and he tries to eat C three PO's eye. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, but he adds so much flavor to those scenes. And and provide so much comic relief. Uh, I have a very soft spot for un, like unconventionally cute, if you could even call Salacious Crumb cute uh, creatures or like like creatures that are weird looking and angry. I'm a sucker for. Uh, so so Salacious Crumb is like right up right up my alley. Uh, his laugh is infectious. Uh, again, he's like he's really sa- quite savage because he tries to eat C3PO's face. Um, and I, and I just love kind of the, the flavor he adds to Return of the Jedi. I also want to take this opportunity to, to note that when I was making my list, I kept coming back to Return of the Jedi. So I don't know Mm. if that means that I just love that film way more than I ever thought I did, or if there's something about that film that is, is excelling at building these minor characters, because, you know, I had like, I had a monomena, Bounty Hunter Amon on my list for a while because when I looked him up again, I was like, "That guy's amazing! <laughs> Look at his face!" Um, and and so there are just so many characters like that from Return of the Jedi. So I just wanted to kind of like use this opportunity to give a shout out to Return of the Jedi as being particularly good, I think, at this, this type of world building that that the minor characters conversation opens up. Um, but anyway, Salacious Crumb. Uh, when I was thinking about Salacious Crumb for this episode. 
And for this list, I did actually come up with some weird existential questions about Kowaki and monkey lizards because based on current merchandising and sort of marketing for Star Wars, Kowaki and monkey lizards seem to be classified as non-sentient animals. Uh, because the, the, the reference I'm, in, I'm, I'm thinking of specifically is um, it's not Galactic Pals. It's the other Star Wars for kids. It's like Galaxy of Creatures, I think. It's a series of shorts that they did. And there's one for, and it's actually the plushie that I used to make the noise at the beginning, is not actually Salacious Crumb. It's a generic quacky and monkey lizard mm. um, from that series. And there's one for uh, uh, Tauntaun. There's one for a Blurg. There's one for a Rancor. He, the Kowaki and Monkey Lizards are being grouped together with, with what I would consider to be sort of more creatures and not characters. However, Salacious Crumb is 100% to be a character. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, and I, I did some digging, and there's a StarWars.com article um, that I think Jennifer Landa, who I'm a big fan of uh, from Force Center Podcasts and other things, uh, wrote about... You know, it's like it's one of those listicles of like, you know, why you think why Salacious Crumb is scarier than you think. I think it was for Halloween or something. But in that, the description of him gives all this backstory of like he knows all of Jabba's secrets. He like can trade in those secrets. He made a deal with Jabba to uh, that that, you know, he could basically like live free in the palace with like free like with free room and board if he could amuse <laughs> Jabba at least once a day. Right. So to do that you can't just be like a pet. You yeah. have to be sentient. To me you'd have to be like a sen- like sentient. Yeah. So so that I just think this I want answers <laughs> to these these hard hit these are my hard hitting journalistic questions <laughs> about Kowaki monkey lizards. Please someone answer them for me. <laughs> Yeah, I you know it's funny you say that, Jen, because like um, I I would definitely classify him as a character, and I mean he's clearly fitting even an archetypal role as the jester in the court. Um, so yeah, I, I, that's that is really interesting. Well, and um, so I, I'm going to admit I hate Salacious Crumb because I find him his laugh just oh my gosh, it's he's like, annoying. It's like nails on a chalkboard to me when I hear him laugh, um, and I don't mean I'm not in any like that's awesome. I'm so glad you like him. I, I just really don't. Um, and I think one of the darkest things we've seen with Quacky and Monkey Lizards was that first episode of Mandalorian where one is watching oh, right. another one being cooked, um, but the way he's watching it, terrified like. That seems to be sentient. Like he understands what this means and is horrified, rightfully so. Right. So yeah, that right. So is it is it that the Star Wars galaxy is a, exploiting and abusing Kowaki and monkey lizards, and we need to do something about it, or is Salacious Crumb somehow, or certain Kowaki and monkey lizards can somehow be like, is there some mutant gene? That they could have right. that some of them well, are sentient and some of them aren't. I need to know. Or, or are humans descendants of quacky and monkey lizards like we are of, of monkeys here on our own planet? And some oh, can no. some can learn you know language and and things like that. But there's there's still something that separates them from us. So maybe that's maybe that's what they are in the Star Wars world. They are are uh, we are descendants of <laughs> of the Quackians. That's that makes it so much darker. I feel. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> but I love it. But I love it. <laughs> Oh, 
Yeah. But oh, to your, no. the point you made, though, because I'm in 100% agreement about Return of the Jedi, because the next one I'm about to list is also from Return of the Jedi. Return of the Jedi, just it's just Jabba's Palace alone is just a plethora of world building and side characters and, and people that have little moments here and there just in the background. So it does. Yeah, I think it is worth mentioning that that movie just really, really puts puts this sort of stuff in there um, really well. Um, and that said, uh, my number two is uh, good old Logre from Bright Tree Village. Um, it, 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 he and my number one it, it would kind of go back and forth in the same way that Han and Luke would if I was a child of 1977, that uh, uh, Han Solo is the cool guy, but Luke is definitely like my, my like spiritual centered one. And that's what I love about Logre. I mean, he's a shaman. Um, he is the spiritual religious leader of Bright Tree Village. Um, and in, of course, Return of the Jedi, there's there's not much that he does. And yet he is the one that recognizes the kind of sacredness of this group that has come into their midst. Um, and, you know, I think it'd be easy to just laugh and be like, oh, well, they believe a droid is their god. Like, haha, look how stupid these like, um, uh, you know, savages are or something, you know, something like horrible like that. But I think in the reality is what's beautiful about Logre is that he does understand that. Uh, something has brought this group into their midst to change their world for the better. And Logre is the one who's sitting in the chair listening to 3PO tell his bedtime story. Um, it is Chief Chirpa who stands at his corner, right? It's it, And this is what I love about the Ewok uh, kind of uh, village breakdown, I guess, if you will, is that there's obviously the chief. Ch- Chirpa is in charge of Bright Tree Village. But everything goes through Logre, that there is a spiritual guide to all of this. Um, I'm in no way advocating for uh, the unity of church and state. Definitely not. That's disgusting. Let's not do that here in America. Um, but, uh, but I like that in Bright Tree Village that there is this, there's this ancient way of ruling that there's this, there's this voice of wisdom and this voice of leadership um, and that they go hand in hand. And I, and you know, as somebody who is a person of faith and is that's such an important part of my identity, I love somebody like Logre. And as a result, I also love the Ewoks cartoon. Those two seasons of that cartoon are some of my favorite Star Wars. Um, and Logre in that story is certainly not a minor character. He's quite a major character and actually takes on Tebow as an apprentice. He's going to train Tebow to be his um, the next shaman of Bright Tree Village. And a lot of the episodes we see... Uh, Logre using what they describe as magic, but it's clearly just another version of the force. I mean, in the same way that the Night Sisters on Dathmir use uh, use some sort of aspect of the force in a different way, I think that's what Logre taps into as well. So I just I just love that about him, and um, because of the Ewoks cartoon, and he he does obviously appear in the first Ewok movie, Caravan of Courage. And what is his role in that particular movie? Well, it's of course to be the guide, the one who gives them these gifts for their you know their quest. He's the one who provides them with the means to survive that quest and and to make it through. So um, I love that about Logre. Um, that is why he is my number two. And debate again, depending on the day, could be my number one. I love I love this pick. I felt bad for not having ebooks, but again, I was very became very self conscious about like I can't have my entire list be from Return of the Jedi. That would be crazy. Uh, and actually, like I just realized that I don't have 
So I collect the Hallmark itty bitties, uh, and they they sit right next to my desk. desk so as, that's why I'm thinking about them. But I I have a Chief Chirpa, but I, there's no low grade. They haven't made a low grade, that's, and there's a Wicked, obviously, because yeah. you know the Wicked is the one the one Ewok that everyone can name. But yeah, justice for low grade. Yeah, <laughs> more, mer- more low grade merch. I do place. actually have like a little low grade corner in my Star Wars room. I love him so much. So I would nice. the one the one low grade piece I'd love to have, but I just don't want to invest in is like I would love his actual figure from the Ewoks line from the eighties. But even like a loose one is like eighty bucks. I'm just not willing to spend that. So oh yeah, that's rough. Yeah. So if you're listening and you have like a, a plethora of low grade Ewok action figures that you're just looking to offload, please DM me. <laughs> nice, nice. Now I'll know if I come across one that's not eighty dollars. I'll let you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, um, so I'm I'm super curious then, Jen. Who is your top minor character? All right. So uh, again, let's see if the didn't get that one. The mic. Oh no! Here, let's try again. Got it. All right. Well, oh, yes. Okay. Um, I feel like I'm learning a lot about microphones today. Uh, so, so my number one, and anyone who knows me probably could have easily predicted this, uh, is Admiral Akbar. Um, I, I do collect a lot of Star Wars stuff, but my most complete and thorough collection is of Admiral Akbar. Um, and part of that is because there actually isn't that, relative to other characters, there's actually not that much. Uh, so it makes it a nice he's a really nice character to collect because I'm not like constantly buying, <laughs> buying stuff all the time. And to me, I don't, we are off, off, off air. We were, before we started, we were kind of talking about how for some of these, there's just not a very intellectual explanation. There's just some sort of like emotional connection or like feeling or reaction that, that we have uh, with some of these minor characters. And this is a hundred percent. One of those, I can't totally explain why I love Admiral Akbar so much. Um, I think if I had to try to break it down, it's his look is just so unusual. When I first saw him in Return of the Jedi, I had just never seen any in any and you know as a lifelong lover of science fiction and fantasy, you know I had still never seen anything quite like him before. You know we'd gotten lots of humanoid aliens up until that point historically, I think, but but no no one who has huge wide set fish eyes, right? (laughs) Um, And so there's just there's just something so so goofy and lovable. Uh, about him and about the Mon Calamari that I really love. So that's probably like what originally drew me to the character. Uh, and if you're wondering, well, like Admiral Akbar is is one of the classic memes at this point. Uh, I will say, you know, I have no proof for this necessarily, but I did love him before he blew up as a meme. But I think my collection really started to gain momentum during that time uh, because. You know, there was just more, like, more attention. He got more attention because of the, it's a trap beam. Um, and, you know, his one-liner, it's a trap, is is part of part of his his uh, his ethos, I do, uh, in appeal for me as well. Um, but, again, he's a character from Return of the Jedi. I don't know what's going on with Return of the Jedi. Uh, I never really would have. If you asked me that question of, like, which film has the best minor characters, I don't know if I would have thought of Return of the Jedi necessarily, but from doing this list, I absolutely would answer that now. Um, but... Uh, you know, he, I've lost my turn of thought for once. Um, I'm just overcome with, uh, with love. <laughs> I can't think of what I'm going to yeah. say. Oh, right. So, so I want to tie it back. Cause I don't think we've mentioned the light and magic documentary that's coming up on Disney plus at the end of the month. I believe it's next is July 27th, which I think is next Wednesday. Um, 
and it's a documentary about the early days of industrial light and magic. Uh, and I, I had the privilege at this year's celebration of being on a panel um, for that. And one of the best things in terms of just the little stories that they tell behind the scenes stuff um, is about the, the creation of a lot of these characters, including Admiral Akbar. And what's great, but also really deflating as a fan is that a lot of the conversations were around like the character's design came first and then the sort of like name naming mm. of them and stuff came after. So, so one of the, I can't remember who it is now, but one of the panelists there told this great story about, uh, about Akbar and how he originally was just, they were just designing his look before they ever named him or knew what role he would play in Return of the Jedi. And that George Lucas had this very kind of like casual conversation um, where he's like, oh, okay. And, and the artist is like, oh, he's like a, he's like a squid man or like a, you know, and he's like, all right, uh, his, they can be, he's uh Mon Calamari. Like he just kind of like off the cuff comes up with Mon Calamari um, through like pulling it just purely from his imagination. Um, and that, oh, he's Admiral Ak like, like, and just kind of like, there's this sort of improvisational energy that those stories have where it's like, you know, there wasn't like a, like a lot of hand wringing when they came up with these iconic characters and species, it's like, it was just, they were just playing around. Um, and so if you're interested in that kind of stuff, I would definitely recommend checking out because they did show clips from that documentary series. Um, so if that's something you're interested in, I would definitely recommend watching Disney plus for that when it drops next week. Um, but my long, that's my long walk back <laughs> <laughs> to the, this point about these minor characters is that there's so much suggested from their just from their design alone it's not just from their dialogue if they have it or kind of like their role in the in the actual plot or or uh whatever film or whatever the, you know it's not about what they do necessarily it, oftentimes it's just about how they look mm. um and so for me that's that's an amazing thing but i would also sorry this is a really <laughs> long explanation because it's my number one i guess uh i had the privilege in 2015 at celebration of meeting eric bowersfield who's the, was the voice actor. He's no longer with us, but he's the voice actor for Akbar uh, through Force Awakens. Um, and I was, you know, getting an autograph from him. And it was amazing because it made me realize, talking to him made me realize that his the voice work for that character, his voice work, is such a key part of why that character is so fully formed and so lovable. Um, because he, he, as he's signing, you know, he knows what people want. So he's signing his name. And he just, he, it's, it was almost as if he were in the recording studio workshopping how to deliver the intonation for the line, it's a trap. Because he's sitting there signing his name on my, my photograph and, of Akbar, and he's saying, it's a trap. It's a trap. It's a trap. It's a trap. And he just kind of kept saying it's a trap in different ways over and over mm -hmm. again. And then finally, it kind of like the energy, he lost energy. And he finally ended with, it's a goddamn trap. <laughs> Like he's just so tired of saying this phrase, but he also it was interesting. It was it conveyed an interesting sense of emotions where he's like on the one hand totally exhausted that everyone associates him with this one line, and he's always asked to say it. But on the other hand, he did he did seem to really love doing it um, and love the character. So so that was a, mem a Star Wars fan memory that I'm going to have forever. Amazing. Um... Yeah, I always forget the name of the actor who did the voice because I always just think of Tim Rose, who who also I believe passed away somewhat recently, um, who's in the suit. Um, but yeah, uh, I could be wrong about that. He could very well be. I think he's still with. Uh, okay. That made me panic. 
Okay. Uh, um, my my pulse just went up like ten degrees. Yeah, maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe I am just thinking think about he... the voice actor then. But uh, all the same, yeah, I you know Akbar is such a beloved character. Um, I that's so cool that he's your number one. I actually had no idea that that would be your number one. Um, so, uh, and you know, to your point about how you know they're designed first, then created second in a sense. Um. The fact that he is a fish-like character, I loved that we got to see a little bit of where he comes from in the Clone Wars arc from the the opening of season four. Um, and it, it, that's something that's been in Star Wars Legends canon for a while, is that the, the Quarren and the Mon Calmari share the same planet and they've always just kind of butted heads. So it was really neat seeing that that long-standing animosity obviously taken advantage of by the Clone Wars to make them go to war. Um, but really neat to see Akbar as this young uh, lieutenant who's you know always quick to to join the fight. Um, um, and, and maybe in a somewhat similar way to what I love about Captain Tarples is Akbar really believes in in, in his people and protecting his people. Uh, and I think that's a very admirable admiral quality. <laughs> um, so yeah, no, I, I I love that. And what a great story to like have attached to it from from getting to meet him. Um, so. Yeah. Yay. That's awesome. I also love his episodes. And I, I almost thought maybe I can't put him on this list because he's just appeared. If you go to his Wikipedia page, his, his list of appearances is longer than most character, like most minor characters. He's just been and popped up in so many things. However, you know, the way I rationalized it, cause I was, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine sort of as I was preparing for this and he said, well, it would be kind of criminal if you couldn't put Admiral Akbar on your list for this. <laughs> so let's find a way to make it work. Um, and, and so the way I rationalized it was he's still even, you know, he's in a three episode Clone Wars arc, but he's still a side character in that. He's still a minor character because it that story, if we're thinking again, if we're thinking about plot versus story, that story is still very much about Lee Char and being like, you know, dealing with the murder of his father, being thrust into the situation of this war where there's, you know, the racial tensions or species tensions between, um, the Mon Calamari and the Corrin and dealing with the separatists and the Republic. And like, he's kind of overwhelmed and it doesn't have the confidence and Akbar gives him that confidence. And, you know, he's still very much a, uh, he's not the main character of that story. It's not like we got not, it's not like the, the writers behind that arc of the Clone Wars said, you know, you know what everybody loves Admiral Akbar. So let's build a story around him. They chose, still chose to keep him sort of on the sidelines, which mm. I thought was really interesting and really speaks to kind of like his role in the Star Wars galaxy. Mm. Yeah, he doesn't need to be front and center. Right. And I think that's something also very um, wonderful about certain characters. Um, that's great. Um, well, I'll, I'll finish up our listing here with my number one, which, again, I'd, I quickly made a list of five and then started editing it a bit. And then I was hanging out with a friend a couple of days ago and I shared my list and he goes, how come you don't have this character and i'm like because he's not a minor character he goes carl he's maybe got three minutes of screen time across everything star wars and that is of course embo um i absolutely love embo i mean he is one of the most major characters in my star wars heart so i just, i literally just didn't compute him as a minor character like i didn't even think to put him on my list and my friend was like uh what about embo and i'm like what about embo he's like isn't don't you really like him i'm like yeah but he's not a minor character <laughs> he goes are you kidding me? <laughs> so I was like, yeah, I guess you're right. Um, but, you know, to to the point you were making earlier, um, I, 
I don't have like strong reasoning. It's just, I, I just, I've loved him since the day I saw him. Um, you know, and, and this it's kind of, again, to compare him to that low gray comparison, he's, he's the Han Solo in this comparison. Like I love low gray. I, I, there's so many things about low gray. I kind of identify with, and you know, that, that spirituality of him, but I want to be Embo. Like I want to be cool. I'm not cool, but I want to be. Um, and like that's same was true with Han Solo. Like I want to be cool like Han Solo, but I'm the complainer like Luke. Um, you know, like, uh, and that's just, Embo just looks so great. Um, I love that Dave Filoni does his voice. I is he? I think that might be the only voice Dave Filoni does in Star Wars. Um, I'm probably wrong about that. Uh, right, unless you count Trapper Wolf, but that's different oh okay, it's not voiceover. Right, true. But, um, but I think you're right. Yeah, and and the fact that he, he kind of settles on this like garbly version of French, which is perfect because like as somebody who's of French Canadian descent, and my parents always pushed me to learn French, and I never wanted to. All I could ever speak was garbled French, so it's perfect. Um, like I I love that little that little tidbit about Embo. Um, and, uh, you know, any, anybody who follows our social media, you've probably seen pictures of my rescue cat, Embo. Um, I, I actually, in the, my original name for my cat, Embo, was going to be Tebow because I wanted to use an Ewok name but wasn't, like, too on the nose. So I was like, I don't want to do Wicket. And uh, I should have just done Logre, but I was like, oh, how about Tebow? And I, when I was with my friend, they were like, if you choose Tebow, everybody's going to think Tim Tebow, which is that washed out uh, New York Jets quarterback and I was like oh we don't want that and then it just popped into my head I'm like Embo this guy is Embo and he is I mean not in any way because he's just very lazy unlike the Star Wars Embo but I love my little Embo um, but what's what I really like about Embo is you know just outside of his look um, I do like when we first meet him Yes, he's a bounty hunter, but he's a bounty hunter that has taken on uh, a bounty to protect those who are defenseless. Um, so, right, like obviously that episode of Clone Wars is, is, is a complete uh, homage to um, Seven Samurai, right? That's the Kurosawa one that he's doing. Um, so, but at the same time, like that says something about Embo. Like, yes, obviously I'm projecting what that can mean about Embo. Like, Oh, he always wants to fight the good fight, which we know isn't hundred percent true because then he works for Sidious in, in uh, season seven. Um, but he also shows up in the aftermath trilogy that, that crew he runs with in the clone wars, they're still together in the aftermath trilogy. Um, and they, it's kind of implied that they take on like good guy jobs for the most part. Um, so there is something honorable about Embo, um, that I think is somewhat implied. And I don't know that his fighting style is Terrace I've just, my headcanon says it is because I love Terrace ever since that video game came out in the nineties. Um, and what, regardless of whether he's a master of Terrace or just some other fighting form, uh, what I always appreciate about people that have like some sort of martial combat expertise is that they are a very disciplined person. Um, uh, a shared friend of Greg and I's is, is this friend who she loves Tarkin, but she also does all sorts of martial art forms just because she wants to find ways to engage her body and, and be active. And it's just, I have so much respect for her for the discipline of doing these particular schools of training. And that's something that really draws me to Embo is I, I, I love that discipline that goes into him crafting his trade. Um, but yeah, I mean, Let's be real. When it boils down to it, I just love the way he looks. <laughs> so um, Embo, Embo will definitely yes. always be my favorite minor character. I, I shouldn't say always. Maybe they'll introduce someone even cooler, but that'd be, it'd be a hard sell. Um, so, 
there you have it. There, there's yes. ours. There is our list. Do you think Embo's going to, this is my last question because I know yeah. we have to wrap up, but uh, do you think Embo will show up in live action anytime soon? I was really hoping for it in Book of Boba Fett. I get why he didn't. Um, and I'm hesitant to say that he will. Um, but uh, I will say the, how perfectly Cad Bane translated. I have full confidence that if they do it, it will look really right. cool. Um, at Celebration Chicago back in 2019, I met a guy who had an Embo cosplay. There was two Embo cosplayers. One of them was fine. Like I don't mean to be to be rude and dismissive. Um, it, it was fine. Like, but there was one guy that was like, it was awesome. Like it looked so good. Um, and I ended up not necessarily befriending him, but I ended up chatting with him a bunch because his, his partner listens to our show. So like I got to see him out a few times when we were out having dinner. Um, and, uh, he makes all of his own stuff. And at, at that point I was actually going to commission him to just make me an Embo head and helmet to hang over my, my, in, in my star Wars room. But I just didn't have the money at the time. And I still, it's, I still go back and forth. Like I should just reach out to him and still commission that. Cause I would love that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I all that to say, yes, I would love to see him in live action. I don't necessarily think it would happen. I think Cad Bane made sense because he was like the big Clone War character in that in that genre. Whereas again, Embo, if you you want to quote Dave Filoni, that's a deep cut. So <laughs> you know, um, it might be tough, but I would love you to know, see it. It was. It's just really funny because I par- I part part of me predicted that he would be on your list. But part of me also was like, I feel like you're going to be conflicted because because mm-hmm. of this issue of like, and this is this speaks to the general topic of these minor characters of like, in the transmedia context, how do you really judge who's minor and who's major? Because, you know, in a movie that everyone has seen or that's more mainstream, they might be only in it for two seconds or something like people might not know who they are in general. They might not be in the pop culture consciousness as prominently as some of the other characters. But if you are a fan, right, and you kind of dip into these other things, books and comics and animated shows and and the stuff that's not as mainstream as the main films or even the Disney Plus series now, um, that that it really fluctuates. It's very fluid in terms of like it depends on who which what kind of fan you're talking to in terms of who how major or minor a character is going to be. So I love I love that you actually went for it and picked and, and picked him because he's he's major in your heart, but minor technically <laughs> right yeah no absolutely you're you're not wrong and, and the way i looked at it is like well here's an opportunity to just talk about him a bit um even though i never have super in-depth things to say about him because again he's he's someone that you you would have to to do a little digging for and um before we wrap this up i think it's worth mentioning that you and i talked about right before we 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 started recording that what we really wanted to do was because I said, you know, oh, I could have obviously spent some time on Wikipedia researching all of these characters, but we really wanted this to just be like, these are characters we love and here's why we love them. Like, these are the things we've gleaned for ourselves about these characters. So, yes, there's probably exhaustive articles on everybody we've mentioned on Wikipedia, but uh, I think what's appealing about this isn't necessarily, it's not the knowledge, it's the wisdom, to quote our decks. Exactly. <laughs> love it. Um, so, uh, we'll. Jen, thank you again for for coming on to be my my co-host this week. I absolutely loved having this conversation with you. Um, but before we go, uh, how can folks get in touch with you uh, and, and get involved with your blog? So, yeah, I write 
a review site. Uh, it's on Substack, which is sort of a hybrid blog newsletter that's fairly new. So if you, you know, I always feel like I have to explain it because I shouldn't assume when I say Substack, people know what I mean. Uh, but the URL is the long take, all one word, dot substack.com. Uh, if you just Google the long take and my name, it probably will come up. Uh, but I do uh, weekly breakdowns of all uh, Star Wars and Marvel Disney Plus shows. That's the main thing that you'll find on there. When it's uh, Oscars season, I also kind of moonlight as a as an Oscar prognosticator. Uh, so if you do <laughs> betting pools for that, that's a good thing to keep an eye out for. Um, and so that's at thelongtake.substack.com. And then on social media, I am on Instagram and Twitter as at Subchokchai. So that's S O P C H. O-C-K-C-H-A-I. And actually to tie into the conversation that we had today, um, my number one minor character, Admiral Akbar. I tried to, this is a new thing I started last year, uh, tried to get hashtag Akbar August going. Uh, and what I, what I hope to do again is to every day in August post a different picture of an item from my collection uh, of Admiral Akbar. So if you are also a fan of Admiral Akbar, you can follow me for the month of August and then unfollow me if you want. That's, <laughs> that's totally fine. I won't be. Uh, as, you know, as long as we can get hashtag uh, Akbar August going, I'm happy. Awesome. Um, yeah. Well, again, thank you. I really love talking Star Wars with you. I love your your blogs. Um, I've, I'm behind because I actually still haven't seen the last two Miss Marvels. Um, but, uh, I mean, absolutely brilliant write-ups every time. So um, I can't encourage folks n- enough to, to check those out. And, and I love, and I'm, I'm really hoping that you continue to get into the, uh, onto star Wars podcast, because I also just, I mean, I love hearing you talk about star Wars. So, um, certainly loved having you on now. I really hope you'll be willing to come back again in the near future. Um, because it's just a delight having you here. Oh, for sure. Thank you. I appreciate those kind words. Uh, it's been so fun. I was actually, I never would have expected to be on podcasts, but Star Wars is the, is the one thing that would pull me onto a podcast, I think. <laughs> so it's been super fun. Uh, and you kept saying that we wouldn't be able to fill the time with... <laughs> I know. I, I, I know. I messaged <laughs> you like a few hours. Like, what are you, no. Yeah, I know. I was like, oh, I'm sorry. We may not we have could, a ton to we say. Could do this, we could do this all day. We could easily go another hour and a half. No problem. Oh, my goodness. Um, so, well, everybody, thank you so much for checking out this episode of the Wampus Lair podcast. Episode 476, our top five minor characters. Uh, for Jason, who is with us by Force Ghost. For Jen, I am Carl, and we will see you next time here in the Wampus Lair. Oh, my God.